So I want you to take a look at this image uh, on the screen. It's some, something I think you're all going to recognize if you own a computer. Uh, there you go. Anybody recognize that? Okay. So that's the Google homepage. And what's interesting about Google, it is the main search engine that, people, that most people in the world use. Google won over uh, most users on the Internet by doing more with less. Take a look at that page again, that homepage. Look how bare it is. Look how simple it is. So there was a book written uh, called Simple, Conquering the Crisis of Complexity. And I'm going to just quote you from this book. It says, when Google introduced its now famous search engine, it wasn't the first but Google's version quickly left competitors behind, gaining mainstream acceptance. And as main observers have noted in the years since, listen to this, the simplicity of Google's homepage, the simplicity of their homepage, had much to do with its appeal and success. And now, the Google search engine is so ubiquitous, how do you like that word? Common, it's everywhere, that we use it as a verb. You know, we used to say, you know, I need some information about thus and so. So we go, go to the library. Now what do we say? Google it. it when, when something becomes a verb that wasn't a verb, that's how you know it's really made a difference. Um, and so the good is the enemy of the best. Do a few things well and eliminate the rest. Keep it simple. Eliminate the clutter. Do more with less. That's what I want to talk about today. Now, our problem and my problem is that we often try to do everything. Our fear of losing, uh, I guess in business, market share uh, makes us try to make everybody happy. You know, we want to have everything and do everything to please everybody because we don't want to lose market share. And as a pastor, this plagued me. I was tempted as a pastor over many decades here. Uh, I tried to often do everything, have every program, you know, so that there was something for everybody and nobody would feel left out, but there was a lack of focus. And so my MO, my uh, modus operandi often was, I just didn't want to make people mad. And, and I, I don't know that I'm really a, a raging people pleaser, but I like to make people happy. I like people to be happy. And I like people to get, I like to get along with people. And I don't like people being mad at me. And so uh, I didn't want people to be upset because we didn't do what they wanted us to do. And so I would lurch often uh, from one initiative to another, you know, so we'd put something in place and then a little while later that didn't happen anymore and we tried something else and one program and then for a while that ran and then we had another program to replace it. Um, and there was a lot of activity. I've always been busy as a pastor. Churches I've been a part of have been busy, lots of activity, but activity is no substitute for progress. I said yes to a lot of stuff because I didn't want to pay the price of focusing on the one thing, the one thing that really matters to God and should matter to us. So how about you? Do you, do you ever feel like you're going 100 miles an hour and getting nowhere fast? Some of you probably do. Uh, do you ever wonder if you're just living your life uh, sampling experiences and activities, but never really immersing yourself in one central thing. 
There's people that live their whole lives just sampling. But there's not one guiding idea or principle that forms their identity. Once we understand what that one thing is that God created you and I for, and we devote ourselves to it, I don't think we can go back. I can't go back. Now, once you say yes to that one thing, you'll be able to say no to lesser things. Somebody once said this, because it's about simplicity and focus. Focusing is about saying the first word that most of us learn to say as as little toddlers. What was it? No. You've got to say no, no, no. Learn to say no. Can everybody just shout it out? You can do it. Just shout it. Say no. Did you hear that online? (laughs) Okay. Uh, And so you might be surprised that I would say that, but the problem is, is we say yes, which is a nice word, but we say yes to too many things. And so the mission of First Church of the Nazarene and the mission of the Church of the Nazarene globally globally is making Christ-like disciples of the nations. Our version of that is making Christ-like disciples with a heart for God and a passion for people, loving God and loving people. That's our mission. Now, I believe that mission statement is correct. I really do. It's biblical. Um, and, but there's more going on behind that mission statement. And I just learned something. And some of you that have heard me talk and preach are going to notice that I've changed my mind on something a little bit. Um, and so, I, you know, by the way, I think it's good when we contradict ourselves. Don't you think? You think that's okay? Because if I said something 10 years ago, and then I say the opposite today, you could say I contradicted myself, or you could say maybe he learned something in that 10 years. Is it okay if your theology, the Bible doesn't change, God's truth doesn't change, but if your theology changes, your point of view changes, that just tells me that you're teachable. And uh, that's what we should be. So, there's more going on behind that mission statement. I want to just pull the curtain back a little bit and have us explore what's behind this. So, <laughs> there's two common views of the church. One is, and you'll recognize these, one is the purpose of the church is to serve the needs of its members. I've been a member of this church for 30 years. And so I think my voice should be heard more than others. You know, and, and that's one, one view. Or the other view is, no, the church does not exist for the sake of its members, for itself. But the church exists for the sake of the lost who were out there, who still need Jesus. So which of those views is correct? Is it for us or is it for them? Don't answer that. Hang on. I want to answer that question in this message. Um, And I think what we have to do is put it in a broader theological context. And this is what I learned. You have probably heard me say, and some of you have reacted to this. I've made statements that said that the church exists not for itself, but for those who are out there. I've said that. And that everything that we do in here is to get us ready to go out there. Now, I'm not going to take that back 100%, but I will walk it back a little bit. But I want to put it in a larger context. Um, Ephesians chapter 1 this will come up on the screen this is a deeply theological letter of Paul in the Bible so this is what it says it's talking about the Lord he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be what? holy and 
blameless. Are we holy and blameless? That's what he chose us for. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship. There's the adoption theme. Okay. Through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. Let's keep reading. To the praise of his glorious grace. Let's stop there. So God chose us to be holy and blameless. What, for what purpose? To the praise of his, that people would praise his glory and grace. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. It's talking about the last things, the end times. That God's plan ultimately is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Everything will come under the authority of Jesus Christ and it will be to the praise of his glory and grace. It actually goes on in the, in the next few verses. It says that God... Um, uh, chose us in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ, and Paul was talking about himself and the first apostles, that we might be for the praise of his glory. So here's what it is. We exist to bring praise and glory to our God and Father. That's why the church exists. The church exists not primarily for the lost out there, and it doesn't exist primarily for the found in here, in here. It isn't about them, and it isn't about us. Who is it about? Him. It is about His glory. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, this is not on the screen. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. When will the earth be filled, filled with the knowledge of the glory of God? It will happen when Jesus returns. But it will not be filled that way until he returns. Westminster Catechism says, what is the chief end of man or of humanity? The chief end is that we would glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I agree with that. So here's the question. If we exist, not for them out there, not for us in here, but we exist for him up there, for the Lord, then how do we bring glory to God? That's the question. How do we bring glory to God? The glory of God, here's the answer. The way we do it is by being his people. The glory of God is found in his people being fully alive and about the very things that Jesus himself was about when he walked on this earth. And that's why I'm preaching on the core values, by the way. The core values tell us the kind of people that we ought to be. So that's also what our mission of making Christ-like disciples is about. If we are to truly make disciples who are being transformed into the likeness of Christ to become more and more and more like Jesus, then here's the result. If we make disciples as God wants us to be, believers will grow. You will grow, and you will not stop growing. The lost will be saved and God will be glorified. So the Lord's grand purpose in creation was that we would be the light of the world, a city on a hill, 
the salt of the earth, what have you. Our life together, that, you know, where there is peace between us, where there is righteousness and justice, and where there is joy and celebration and being together, that our life together should be so beautiful and healthy and complete and uh, compelling that people would be knocking the doors down to get in to our fellowship. That's what, that's what it means when he says, be the light, you're a city on a hill. People should be envious to say, you know, my family and, and my office and place of work and my neighbors, it's not like that, but you've got something. And that's what it's about. So the purpose of the church, the family of God, us, is not to make the world a better place. I know, okay, people think that that's what it's all about. If we can't bring justice out there until we have justice in here. And unfortunately, there's a hypocrisy that goes on. Because we talk about justice, but, but let's have it here. Why does the Bible say, more than one place, Galatians 6.10 is one of them, do good to all people, especially to the family of believers. It starts here. It doesn't end here. So we need these good things here and then people will be envious. And so um, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. But how can they call on the one in whom they've not believed? And how can they believe in the one that they've not heard of? And how can they hear about him if... Someone doesn't preach to them, and how can they preach unless they're sent? So for the world to hear this message, to feel it, we need to be out there in the neighborhoods where people live, work, and play. That's what Jesus meant when he said, be the salt and be the light. So, one day the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. But that will happen when Jesus returns. Until then, we are called by our very existence to be his church, the body of Christ. We are to be Jesus. And it doesn't mean that if Gordon is out there in the world and he's just going to... Gordon, you by yourself are not the church. But, but you're one person, but it has to begin with individuals coming together. But we together are the church. And it, so what's interesting about many of the Christian virtues is the virtues have to do with relational virtues. They're, they're relational, like patience and long-suffering and forbearance. And when people annoy you, that you choose not to be annoyed, but you choose to love and forgive. And realize, hey, you ain't perfect either. You know what I mean? Like that's, it's, it's, it's relational. And people need to see that there's a difference in how we are than what maybe the rest of the world is like. And so we, we have to show what it means to be God's holy people. We are a holiness church. Holiness looks like relationship with God and with, with another. With, it's, but it's healthy relationship. And when we exist together in a healthy way, and that's what these core values are that we're preaching about, you know, pray first. You know, seek the Holy Spirit's guidance. Uh, dare to believe that God is able to do what's impossible for us. And then pursue peace. Pursue peace in all of our relationships. Be a peacemaker. That, that's what it means to be God's holy people. That's part of what it means. And so we need to proclaimly 
proclaim the gospel in here and out there. We need to live out that good news by the way we are as a people. And then it gives them something compelling to be drawn to. And so, declaring God's glory, and that's why we exist, not for them out there, not for us in here, but we exist primarily for the glory of God. Um, The way that we do that, though, is by being willing to proclaim the good news out there in the world, but also by living out the good news inside the church. So, I have one word for that. Okay? Discipleship. Discipleship. The core value that I'm talking about today, okay, pray first, dare to believe, pursue peace, those are the first ones. Today is keep the main thing the main thing. Simplicity and focus. Keep the main thing the main thing thing. There are several scriptures, particularly in the New Testament, that speak to this idea of simplicity and focus. The word for that in the Bible is to be single-minded. You know, singleness of focus. Jesus talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's why I wanted Penny to read that one script, those scriptures from Timothy. But I'm just going to pull this out. This will come up on the screen. The Apostle Paul says to his protege, his disciple Timothy, he says, the things that you've heard from me, that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. I want you to notice something going on there. He's saying, you've heard me say a lot of stuff, and you've seen me do a lot of stuff, and I want you to entrust all this to reliable people, faithful people, dependable people, but who will in turn eventually be qualified to do the same with others. And then he says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And there was a lot of suffering if you were going to be a follower of Jesus. He said, like a good soldier. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but he tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. So he says, if you're a soldier, you have to say no to some stuff. You're not a civilian. You're focused on the mission. If you're an athlete, you've got to say no to stuff that other people say yes to because you're focused on the prize. And he's giving that to us in the Bible as a metaphor. Here's some other scriptures that talk about focus. So in the book of Acts chapter 6, it tells us that some widows were getting their, um, you know, noses bent out of shape because they were being overlooked and they complained and so the apostles got together and they said okay we got we got to fix this and so what they did is they appointed some people called deacons who would take care of the material needs of the church but this is what they said cuz see the apostles said we won't do that stuff we're going to delegate that and this is what it says in acts 6:4 we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word That's what this guy right here needs to be doing. And it is what I do. And I want to do it even better and more deeply. And then the Apostle Paul says this, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Now, isn't that interesting? There's a lot of things, if you want to just be a civilian Christian, there's a lot of things you can do. 
You can say, well, where in the Bible does it say that's wrong? Well, that's not the point. Are you going to be a civilian or a soldier? Are you just going to be a, a regular person or are you going to be an athlete for Christ? See, it, it, the question is not, is it permissible? Is it beneficial? Is it the main thing that we need to be about? The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3, this, is, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. One thing I do. You can read through the writings, uh, through Jesus and, and, and his life and through the writings of the Apostle Paul, a tremendous simplicity and focus. Keeping the main thing, the main thing. And so all of our ministries in the church, I want all of our ministries to be aligned towards this one thing of discipleship, making Christ-like disciples. You know what? Uh, people can, can say, oh, that's nice, Brian. You got these core values and you've got this, this uh, mission. That's, that's really nice. I know lots of organizations that have core values and mission. Folks, I'm living into this. And I'm... I'm I'm not maybe doing it as, be- as well as some others. I may not be the greatest leader in the world, but I'm going to tell you, I'm passionate about this. That's why I started the Leadership Network. That's why we've got a, whole, a bunch of people meeting in triads and accountability groups in the church that we put together. And if you're more interested in that, let me know. Because I think this is really serious. Um, and so, aligning our ministries around that one thing and eliminating things that are good but they're not the main thing. They're not the best thing. We need to streamline our, our decision-making and the way that we do things as a church so that we can focus on that one main thing, which is discipleship. And we need to remove unnecessary barriers that make it difficult for lost people to come to God. Now, before you criticize that, it's biblical, and I'll give you the verse for it. It's Acts 15, verse 19. Acts 15, 19. We need to remove barriers that make it difficult for people out there to come to God. Now, I don't mean watering down the gospel, not at all. But we need to spend our days figuring out what that means because it is biblical. So we need to eliminate stuff and or repurpose things that don't align with the one main thing, which is discipleship. Somebody once said this, this will come up on the screen, you don't need to be good at many things. You just need to be great at one so as a church, we don't have to have all the ministries, a church our size and programs that say a Center Street Church in Calgary has, which has several thousand people. We don't need to do that. We need to figure out what's the one thing. And right now, the one thing is discipleship. And you might say, well, isn't that what every church should do is discipleship? Yeah. But are they? I don't know. I'm not going to criticize that. But all I know is what I see happening with Christians and churches in North America is I don't see a lot of discipleship, folks. I really don't. I don't see us teaching, equipping, and training disciples so that they can do the same thing. Because if you, said you're making, if you say you're making disciples and you're not showing them how they can make disciples, you're not making disciples. And by the way, that's written in the Global Church of the Nazarene. That is the, that is the message of the Church of the Nazarene globally. That is what we're about, but it's the best kept secret. That's what we're supposed to be about. It isn't making people dependent upon us. 
It's for us to equip, to get a vision for that other person's life. And they go, because you know what is happening is people are going, you know, like, I'm just, I'm really not much. I'm not smart, and I'm not talented, and I can't, you know, I can't do this or that. And so what we do is we just keep them that way because we don't have a vision. But if we would just pray and say, God, give me a vision. Help me to see in that person what they could be. Peter was just a fisherman. But look what he became. And so, it says here, and this is found in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9, Jesus went through all the towns and villages doing what? Teaching, proclaiming the good news, healing disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray the Lord to send workers. Now, That's just one passage. Folks, we don't have in our churches enough workers. And actually, we we got more volunteers than we have leaders. We We got disciples, but not apostles who are taking the message out there and taking this message of the gospel into dangerous places where it can make a difference. And so, The glory of God is found in his creation. When his creation is animated and fully alive, the way God meant us to be. We are part of his, we are the crowning achievement of God's creation. Um, When we do what I'm talking about and keep the main thing the main thing, and that's discipleship, reproducing discipleship, that brings glory to God. Our goal is not to make the world a better place. That's secondary. It is important to try to to do that, to bring peace and justice and all that in the world. But it's got to start here. If you're not making disciples, what's stopping you? I'm at the place in my life where, you know, the Lord said to me, stop making excuses. Because I have lots of excuses. So we have to learn the art of saying no to good things um, that are not the best things. Do you know, I would love to be up here leading worship pretty much every Sunday. If I was retired, you know, they'd probably think I was too old, but, you know, I, I, honestly, I love doing it, but you know what? That's self-indulgent. I don't really have time. The last time I led was Christmas Eve, and I think the last time I was up there was like months before that. I would love to do it more, but that's not what God's called me to. Just because I enjoy it, and I, I, but I enjoy the place that God's called me to as, as a pastor. Um, so what brings glory to God? That's the thing. So here, I'm going to end with this. This is the takeaway. Life is a series of choices and decisions. I think you believe that. Life is a series of choices or decisions. So would you decide two things right now? Number one. I don't think you can argue with this. Make the first priority of your life to take care of your own soul and your relationship with God. Nothing should interfere with that priority. I'm going to say this. Your relationship with your spouse, your parents, your children, your grandchildren, your career is less important than your relationship with God. Amen? Woo, really? 
think so. What did Jesus say? Anyone who puts mother or father, brother or sister, husband or wife, even his own life before me is not worthy of me. That idea of taking the cross and following him means nothing is more important than your relationship with God. How many of us are paying attention to that? Do we just have a little talk with Jesus in the car on the way to work? If that. How seriously? I'm trying to help people. That's why I started Leadership Network. And I'm doing other things. Because I, I just sent out a document again on how to have a personal quiet time. It's two pages, a two-page Word document. This is what I do in my personal quiet time. This is how I do it, because I want to help you. Because you're saying, Brian, you're telling us to do this and make this a priority, but how? I've got the hows, but you need to ask. Because otherwise I'm sending you stuff you don't want. Ask. I've got all kinds of stuff. If you want to sit down one-on-one, great. I'll do that. But that's your first priority. Would you make that commitment today? Say, God, I've allowed lesser things. I've said yes to lesser things, and I've said no to you. I've said, I don't have time to spend with God. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read the Bible. Hmm, that's an excuse. Because if you're too busy for that, then you're just too busy. So let's not make excuses. And so, the second thing, which you take as the second priority to make the discipleship of others your second priority. But it's got to begin with your own discipleship. That's why the Apostle Paul said, keep watch, he said this to the shepherds, the pastors of the churches, keep watch over yourselves. Notice that. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which God has made you overseers. Where does it start? We have to watch over ourselves. And then we can watch over the flock. We've got to do both at the same time. Same time. That's why my quiet time in the morning is my top priority. I am better for my wife and my kids when I walk with God. I, you know what? If you say we got problems in our marriage and you're trying to fix your marriage and you're focusing on communication and conflict resolution skills and you're not focusing on your relationship with God, you've missed the point. It starts with the relationship with God. Because once we break down pride and we begin to walk in humility and we learn the patience of Jesus Christ, boy, it changes everything. And so now I want to pray. Father, I thank you that you have called us to this one thing, to keep the main thing the main thing, discipleship, making Christ-like disciples with a heart for God and a passion for people. Help us, Lord, to do this. And I just pray that you would help us to make our first priority in life our relationship with you and that our second priority would be the discipleship of others and to do it in a way that they in turn will make disciples. Imagine, as we're in prayer, imagine if we did that, we would have no lack of volunteers, no lack of teachers, we'd have no lack of uh, children's ministry workers, caregivers. We'd have an abundance of spirit-filled servant leaders. We'd have a continual fresh supply of new leaders in the church. There'd be an abundance of different kinds of groups, and small groups, life groups, accountability groups, people being discipled and growing towards maturity. There'd be fewer separations and divorces. I'm convinced of that. And there'd be fewer church splits out there. Revival would be the norm 
It wouldn't just be something that happens once or twice a year or once in a generation. It'd be normal because there'd be an abundance of love and forgiveness and acceptance and unity. There'd be Holy Spirit fire in our churches, deeper worship, more obedience, and more boldness. There'd be fewer scandals and fewer people feeling burned out. As we bow in prayer, I was just, I've been very burdened, and I think many of us have, by some of the celebrity Christians in the world. And I'm going to, I'll say these names because they've been in the news. And this is not to criticize them, but we're in prayer right now. I'm going to pray for these people and their ministries. Jerry Falwell Jr. from Liberty University. Ravi Zacharias, well-known Christian apologist who died last year. Carl Lentz, a pastor of Hillsong Church in New York. Very well-known Christian leaders, and they had deep moral failures. Father, I pray for these men, the two that are still living. And I pray, Father, for grace to be poured out upon them. Lord, David committed adultery and murder and just, but he came back. You forgave him. And Lord, I pray for these men. I pray for their ministries. Help them, God. It's been a blight on the church. Uh, It's brought uh, scandal. And so, Father, I pray for grace. Help us not to, to judge them harshly, but to judge ourselves and say, Lord, I don't want that to happen to me. There but for the grace of God go I. And you, the, the reason that these men fell, I believe this, is because they didn't pay attention to their own discipleship, to their own relationship with God. They got sloppy, and it became about the numbers, and it became about the success and the programs. And so, Father, I pray that we would keep the main thing the main thing and make Christ-like disciples our by being disciples and making disciples of others. And then you will be exalted and glorified. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you.